Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pink Power Walk Mondays, a podcast of the Southern Area of the Lynx Incorporated. I am Prasharon Dixon, the Health and Human Services Chairman of the Southern Area and Coordinator of the Lynx in Pink Signature Program under Area Director Sylvia Perry. The Black Breasts Matter series is designed to provide current and accurate information that will help amplify the importance of annual surveillance for early detection and also elucidate the specific risks for Black women. It will also share the evidence-based data about why Black women are dying and how we can help each other survive. And most importantly, it will honor the stories of resilience of our sister survivors and fighters who are on the journey. Here we are with our final episode of our Black Breasts Matter series entitled, Why Are We Dying Still? The Struggle for Black Women, the Promise of Early Diagnosis, and the Legislation that Could Save Us. For the last few weeks, we have had robust discussions about breast disease specifically in Black women. In this episode, I will interview Dr. Leslie Holmes, who is a board-certified radiation oncologist with over 25 years of experience in treating cancer, including breast disease. Dr. Holmes is a graduate of Morehouse School of Medicine and completed her residency at Emory University. She has served as a clinician in both academic and private settings. She has treated numerous Black women with breast disease and will talk with me about the state of breast disease currently the challenge for Black women, explore causes for our continued death rate, and what we can all do to help improve outcomes. Most importantly, Dr. Leslie Holmes is a very, very good friend, so I'm glad to have her here today. Hi, Leslie. Thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me. When you see women who have breast cancer, they're coming to you as a part of their medical regimen, is that right? Yes. So there are three fields that treat cancer. Surgery, medical oncology, which we affiliate with chemotherapy, and then radiation therapy. And women with breast cancer disease will obtain some type of combination, either two of those or all three of them. In receiving care. Okay, so it's is that quite common with the with the um, types of breast cancer that you're seeing with Black women? Yes, for young Black women, a lot of them have triple negative breast cancer, which is in a very aggressive form of breast cancer, and so that requires them to get chemotherapy, surgery, as well as radiation therapy. So Leslie, let's just get to it. Why are Black women still dying? Well, it has to do with our access to health care. You think about it. um, The average Black woman has a mid-level job. Mm -hmm. She may have children. She may not have transportation. Whether she lives in a rural area or a city area. You could live in the inner city and it still will take you 
two hours to get to an appointment mm. because you have to take a bus or a train and then you have to explain to your boss and you're making minimum wage, you know, hey, I have to go to the doctor. Not all bosses on that level are understanding of what you're going through and you may have benefits or you may not have benefits. Right. So it's, it's stratified by the socioeconomic status. If you're a college-educated woman, more than likely, I mean, if you're a black college-educated woman, more than likely you have the same access to health care as your white counterpart. But if you have a, a lower-level job, less education, you're, and you're, you know, you probably don't have the same access. So for even for you to take care of yourself, do you have your health insurance? Is it a matter of you getting a bus fare or feeding your child or paying a light bill? Mm -hmm. So the access to care is a real struggle and it's real for patients. If you don't have the access to start the initiation of the screening, because screening is so important in any kind of disease process, but especially in the cancer process, mm -hmm. because that's what screening does. It finds disease at the earliest state possible. Right. So if you can find it at the earliest state possible, then you have more than likely have a better outcome. But if you don't have the access to, to get to the doctor, to get that mammogram, to pay for the mammogram, to have the insurance to back you up, then you're going to have this mass in your breast that's just going to grow and just take over. Mm -hmm. And then we have this in the Black community that stretched back years and years and years before present day and modern age, we have the um, bad blood or the Tuskegee syphilis trials. Right. Those are clenching within our community and they just... They just stop us. I had a patient the other day and basically the patient said to me, you know, I don't want anybody to do any kind of research on me or a trial on me. And, and we're not. We're offering the valued standard of care. But that mistrust within the community, mm -hmm. it, it's deeper. Right. And, you know, I know the Tuskegee study itself um pretty much stays in everybody's minds when it comes to being a part of studies or, or research in any way. I interviewed a um, young woman um, last week who talked about that, the importance of being a part of these research projects. And it's it, it just really um, has to come from uh, folks in the community that they can trust. To yes. And the way that they you build that trust and you build a rapport with that patient. And patients come in, black women see more physicians that do not look like them. And it's difficult to trust sometimes. I've seen patients say they've gone to the surgeon, they've gone to the medical oncologist, and then they come to see me. And I kind of explain it in the whole broad view of what they're going through. And I give them a little history about what they're about to embark upon and how they got to this point. And I've received compliments from patients that said, no one has explained it like that. 
Now, I don't know if the physicians, because I wasn't present at their consultations, the surgeon or the medical oncologist. So I don't know if they explained it like that, but the fact is they could identify with me. And mm -hmm. I brought their level of comfort to the forefront and they were accepting. I had a patient recently who had, she needed to go back for a re-excision of her breast cancer. And she had adamantly told the surgeon no. And I re-explained to her the reason why. Now, I'm not a surgeon, but the way I explained it to her, you could see her body language completely change from defense to a total relaxed setting. And after I explained to her the reasons why, that it put her at risk of disease returning, she'd have to undergo a longer treatment for radiation therapy. She said, oh, if someone had explained it to me like that, I would have said yes a long time ago. So I called the surgeon and the patient said that, you know, she'd like to return and go get her re-excision. So it's how the patient identifies with you and she trusts her surgeon. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I look like her, Mm -hmm. They were totally relaxed. She trusted what I was saying, and she embraced what I was saying. And she'll get better health care because of it. So in the field of radiation oncology, about how many black women are there that do what so you there do? There are about, I can count off the of my head between 15 and 20. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very few. You know, the percentage of black physicians within America are only 2%. Mm. And now you have a, a subspecialty field within oncology. And I can name 15 to 20 of us. The, you know, so it's about maybe 200 radiation oncologists in the country. Okay. So off the top of my head, I can name 15 to 20. But I'm sure there are a few more. But the fact that there, there are about 200 black radiation oncologists within the country that are practicing. Wow. Male and female. And now the females are even a smaller um, bite of that or percentage. The, the links all over the country are doing work to expose kids to the STEM fields. And I know we're thinking about that. Like, we're, how do we help to get more kids interested in the science, sciences? But getting some of these kids to, to think about medicine as a field of choice is very important to that connection that you talk about. Um, I just think we don't uh, realize how much a connection based on what we look like and what we understand culturally makes a big difference in how people um, take to their care sometimes. Yes, it, it does. Um, when you look like the person that's, give, that's delivering the care to you, you become endearing to them. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you're not endearing to others that don't look like you, but there's a special connection there that says, hey, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've walked into the room and they've said, you're my doctor. Mm. And, 
and they and they whisper very quietly, oh, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad you look like me. Mm -hmm. Or you're doing a great job. Or, you know, or you get the little 90-year-old lady that looks like your grandmother that says, hey, baby, this is the first black doctor I've ever had. Wow. You know? Yeah. And she is just as proud and beaming as your parents are, as your grandparents are, as your children are. She's just happy that you are part of a society that is doing good and helping them. So... You know, you have to expose the children at a young age to the STEM projects. Eventually, that turns into specialty fields within the sciences, engineering, uh, medicine, nursing, etc. Um, and you have to educate on a, on a deeper level. It is key. The education is key. However you choose to educate, it's most important. Educating about screening tests, the mammogram, getting it done, early detection, because mm -hmm. we know that if we don't have early detection, disease will rear its head at a later state. How many times have I seen a woman that came in, she was coming in routinely for her mammogram every year, starting at the age of 40. And then all of a sudden, she loses her job. Well, when you lose your job, what else do you lose? Your insurance. Mm -hmm. yes. She left a year left. She finally gets another job. It took a year, sometimes two. And in that time frame, she develops a breast mass. Mm. And we dictate it all the time in our notes. Patient was lost to follow-up, secondary to loss of insurance. Patient lost job. Mm -hmm. You know? And, and here you they are. They can't afford to come to, the, to get that because they're trying to survive, you know? Right. So you have to find ways to overcome the access to care. Mm -hmm. Issue. And, and you can bring the care to the neighborhood, and they still have a fear based on myths in the community. Even, you know, Big Mama went to the hospital and never came out, you know? Yes. So Because disease was rampant or she went to surgery, the air hit the, hit, hit the body cavity, the tumor spread everywhere. No, I have to correct that thought process on a regular basis. It wasn't that the air hit it and it spread. She waited too late to come to the hospital to get care. So the disease had spread. It had done its natural process without treatment. So, so there, there are so many things that, that work together to make it where black women are still dying from this disease at, at, at such a high rate. And you made some really good points of the importance of early detection and getting in there and, and being consistent about getting our mammograms every year if we can. Um, but the impact uh, of, of just socioeconomic problems that we see. Um, so we are really making an effort to help educate women around the things that you're talking about and to also make mammograms accessible to women who may not 
have the opportunity, who, who don't have the funds or the insurance to get them. All, all of our um, chapters across the southern area are making at least 25 mammograms available to women in their communities. But it's going to take that kind of work together to, to impact this disease. That's excellent. Yeah, so, um, man. But there, there are things that you can do to help yourselves. Yes. Along the way. Mm-hmm. And that mainly is to live a healthy lifestyle. Ah, yes. Um, obesity runs rapid, rampant in the black community. We have to exercise and have a healthy diet. And all the midsection and the fat, this peripheral fat, our tires, our love handles, mm. our curves. Our curves are good, but we need healthy curves, okay? Right. Because that the, the, the fat, the extra fat that we have, when you hit menopause, okay, your, your estrogen level drops. Well, if you still have all these love handles and mid t- midsections and what have you, that fat, this is a little science, still converts with estrogen. So we have to decrease that. It's not that we want to be skin and bones. We just have to decrease that fat because that fat continues to make estrogen which continues to be high within our community, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> and that having a prolonged amount of estrogen puts one at risk of developing a breast cancer. So by getting older, by the sheer point that you have breasts, and the, the fact that we are a little thicker in our community, we need to start having healthier lifestyles and eating. So going back to the education of the children, when they're smaller, educate them about a good diet and tell them, hey, having a good diet and exercising decreases your risk of getting these diseases in the future. But you could start that on a younger level. Then when they get to the next level, you introduce the next idea. And then when they get to another level, you introduce the next idea. You build on that foundation over time. And so then when they get to the age where it's time to have all the screening tests, we don't have that many, right? We have three. We have the pap smear for cervical cancer. We have the colonoscopy for colon cancer. And we have the penultimate, the mammogram for breast cancer. Those are the only three screening tests that we have in medicine. Mm. So no reason why we shouldn't be prepared to 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 get those three done when so much can change if we just do that. Wow, that makes totally good sense. And for some reason, it always comes back to our lifestyle, doesn't it? Comes back to how we care for this body yes. that we were been given. But we know the other thing that can be helpful to us is, of course, the research that is going on, being a part of that, and 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 knowing what kind of legislation can be helpful to us too. You know, I want to encourage our audience. We're we're ten days out from voting, and we talk about all the things that we should be looking at. And 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 it's interesting that it's not just about the president or the 
the judges or the the you know the the senators um or up and down the ballot sometimes we have to look at the issues that affect us and there are um senators out there and congresspersons who are looking at health issues like breast cancer and putting forth legislation that can help us so we have to be looking at all those all those kind of things that could um help improve our lives so definitely um so many ways that we can help ourselves and decrease our chance of of dying leslie i really want to thank you for coming on today you've been um really really uh had a lot of good information for our audience and this was a fitting conversation for the last episode in our black breasts matter series you know black women are dying at twice the rate of white women, and we have to be front and center in our own survival. So I want to thank you very much for lending your voice to the work of the Lynx Incorporated as we work to educate women everywhere. Thank you, Dr. It's Holmes. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me and, and having this opportunity to share. We have come to the end of our podcast series, for this Breast Cancer Awareness Month of October. We hope you enjoyed the Pink Power Walk Mondays under the theme, Black Breast Matters. Thank you for attending.